Tis the season for festive football, and if you can't make it to a game, then the best place to watch a match is at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. Nothing better than a refreshing pint, delicious food, and live Christmas crackers in the Premier League. Every fixture from TNT, Sky, and Amazon is live at Green King Sport. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. You can watch every winning goal, top bins volley, and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Both of Fulham's games over Christmas against Bournemouth and Arsenal are on the box so if you're away for the festive period and you can't get to the match head to your local Green King Sport pub instead. Also download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off every drink every time there is sport on the telly. The link is in the description of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show today. We're going to be looking back at Fulham's five, yes, five nil win over Nottingham Forest at the Cottage. What a night it was. Records falling all over the place. I'm sure each of us are armed with some brilliant stats that we can show off in the podcast today. Also, can Fulham make it 3-3 three and three at the Cottage on Sunday against West Ham? It will no doubt be a more difficult game than we had last night. But with the way that Fulham are scoring right now, I don't think many will be betting against us, at least having a good go at it. And I'm joined, I'm delighted to say, on a momentous day by the regular Thursday club, Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. What a day. Everyone can't stop smiling. It's nice, isn't it? What a day indeed. And Peter Rutzler's here and I'm so happy about it. Hi, Peter. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Jack. How are we doing? How are we doing? I'm I'm in a very good mood because guess who had uh, Raul Jimenez in his fantasy football team last night? What? Time? You're a bolder man than me. <laughs> um, yeah, he's been there for a while. I, I can't say it was um, a long-term strategy, but it's, it's paid off richly. So happy days. Goodness me, you must be ringing in the points this morning in uh, in FPL after that. Do you get extra points for a back heel or is that is that not part of the rules yet? Uh, no, no. And sadly not doing that well on fantasy football, so we should move on swiftly. But, um, OK, we'll move yeah. swiftly on. Well, look, what a win it was last night. We'll get into everything that has happened as Fulham have just suddenly become a goal scoring machine out of absolutely nowhere. Jack, what were the best three word reviews that came in last night? So there's a lot, right? And you obviously expect them on a, on a day like this. So pick a couple out of Instagram. We'll move on to Twitter. Uh, this one from Ted Mansour, which I thought was good. He said, Fulham Timber Company. Um, and Samuel C. Stone Foso said, Total Amazon Deforestation. There's a lot ah. of that kind of, a lot of that kind of attitude around. FPL Crusader Luke said, Nottingham even close. Um, Cam Calderon said, Brace for Impact, which was good. Chris came up with Amazon Forest Fire. Fulham Dayton with London's Mexican Lumberjack. Uh, and then there were the classics. We had Fulham Northern Ireland saying Awobi Wan Kenobi. Um, we had Eddie Middlebrooks reduced to shrubs. Fulham transfers, it's the Ralvolution. But I think the best of the lot on both Instagram and Twitter came from Scott Mortman on Twitter and then also from BCB Cook on Instagram. Better call Raul. Yeah, it had to be. I think they got an awful lot of likes, both of them on both platforms last night. So I think we can be fairly confident where this podcast name is going. What a night, Peter. Um, 
we've got a lot of stats, I feel like, to, to reel off in this podcast, but we'll go with one that you tweeted earlier. Fulham's biggest Premier League win since 2012. 5-0. And, I mean, the first half an hour, Peter, was a little bit cagey. But once that first goal went in, this was only going one way. And what a transformation. Yeah, what a transformation from where we were like thinking Fulham's season might be heading in the November international break. Yeah, 11 goals in three games. I mean, it's... It's 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 strange territory considering uh, the conversations we've been having all season, really. Um, and yeah, it's 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 it, they've been three very good performances, haven't they? Um, and then last night was the most complete display of the season. Um, I I think you're right. I think the start was pretty cagey. It was pretty it lacked intensity. I, I felt like Fulham were in control. Maybe there's a bit of hindsight with that, but it didn't really feel threatened. I think Fulham looked the more threatening of the two teams, you know, Pereira hit the post, Jimenez had a shot blocked. Um, but then Fulham just had the quality to, to to go up a gear and we saw those patterns of play that we've become so accustomed to under Marco Silva. Those really good combinations in wide areas. I thought having Tosin back at centre-half really made a significant difference um, just in terms of the passes they were playing out from the back. I just felt more comfortable, more natural. I think Bassi looked more comfortable as well. Um and those first two goals are really good. You know, they're, they're good goals from open play that we're seeing, which is so, so encouraging, you know, movement that feels natural. And uh, it's it's almost like the team are not just growing in confidence, but building familiarity, adjusting to different a different player in attack. And um, yeah, and then to see him and his score his goals was uh, obviously a massive uh, cherry, cherry on the cake. I mean, Jack, this is a bit of a wider question that I'm going in straight away with, but... Fulham have obviously scored more in the last three games than we had in the rest of the season before that. And to the naked eye, there's no obvious change. There's nothing. It's not like a player came back from injury or suspension or that Marco did a tactical, major tactical tweak. He didn't change the formation or anything. It just feels like a case of certain players have been given time to gel and maybe good oppositions to be facing at the right time. But this isn't just, you know, because I think because of the way we also played against Liverpool, this isn't just a case of Fulham getting easy opposition. I think we proved in that game that this is genuinely a transformation in, in, in Fulham season. Yeah, I think so. And look, I think some of it comes from Raul getting that extended run in the side and being able to finally start to deliver on, on some of that promise. Obviously, the goal at Aston Villa kicked things off, but I think we saw last night a player so involved in almost every aspect of the game, being able to link effectively, being able to bring the wingers into play. And also it's helped that Andreas was absolutely brilliant last night. I thought he was he was everywhere. And whilst he hasn't been, you know, the player that maybe we thought we saw last season at the start of this season, that return from injury is probably starting to feel a little bit more comfortable at this point. And Awobi is just starting to find a rhythm in terms of creation that really, really helps. Now, the problem is that we have a lot of players banging on the door. Harry Wilson came on, got an assist straight away, was probably Fulham's best player in the Villa game, had a case for being similar in the Liverpool game as well. So when you actually look at the players that are coming in, obviously, Willian scored those two goals against Wolves. That performance, I didn't think was great from him. And, you know, I called that out, but I genuinely thought the last night he was excellent and credit should be given you know, for that, he was able to to step up the gears and make things happen in the final third. 
just generally it felt like a more complete performance than what we've seen. And actually that's grown. I think the Wolves performance was good. The Liverpool performance was better. And last night was the kind of culmination of the trifecta in many ways. It felt like all of those positives that we'd started to see in these other two games came to fruition, albeit against weaker opposition, fine. But actually what we're seeing is that feel that Fulham is starting to find a rhythm and that gelling that you're talking about starting to come through this side. And that's massively important. Yeah, Peter, I mean, Raul Jimenez's transformation is just sublime. And I just feel like we're starting maybe to play to Raul's strengths rather than trying to throw Mitro's strengths at Raul. We're accepting that he drops back deep a lot and he he likes to be involved in the creative side of it. But then players now are complementing that by going, okay, if Raul's going to drop deep, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to go past Raul. We're also not doing quite so many aimless crosses in the box, expecting him to get a head on the end of it like Mitro was. I just feel like maybe we've started to learn how to play with Raul. Yeah, I think there has definitely been an adjustment. I think you're right, Um, particularly in the way those attacks conclude in, in the final third, you know, movements, as you said, you know, Iwobi twice getting into really good positions to be at the back post for those crosses. Jimenez isn't really, he doesn't always burst across the near post. He's not really that kind of striker. He does drop deep and he does link the play really well. Um, he's, he's around the box rather than someone who just stays in the box. And, and he said that after the game, um, spoke to him after the game and he, he talked about, you know, adjusting to the style and he says it suits him because he can drop deep. Um, but he doesn't like to wait, and I think that's the diff. That is a that is a slight change. Um, but you know, the big thing is confidence, isn't it? Like, oh my god! Um, and it's not just confidence for him, and of course, that's absolutely huge. You know, um, he said he he said he, he said after the game that he, you know he reads everything, um, but you know he, there's always stress pressure as a striker and whatever and obviously you had the Mitrovic stuff but I think those comments from Silva relatively recently where um, he talked about uh, you know there was a weight on his shoulders you know this it is pressure you know we all want that pressure to be lifted but it was there um, the fact that that's gone and you could you could just see that from the way he was performing the, the confidence he doesn't score that second goal without that change in confidence um, and, and then the other thing of course is it's confidence for everyone else you know there's a belief that the guy up front is going to score the goals that we create for him. Um, you know, we, we, we've, we've analysed so much about Fulham's goal scoring and how, yes, there's Jimenez is missing the chance of the game his way, but in those early games, Fulham were not creating a lot of chances. Um, now there is that confidence. There's a bit more natural rhythm to it. They've adjusted, as you said, and um, it, it makes a huge difference. Now, whether he goes on a great run, I'm not sure. We'll have to see, but... You know, it's it's clearly it's clearly had an impact. You know, what felt like just a consolation at Villa actually may have had a bit more of a profound impact, certainly for Jimenez. Yeah, I guess, Jack, as a striker, it's one of those things where even that consolation against Villa, it, it was so unimportant in the big... Although, actually, it was one of those goals that maybe if a second had gone in, that could have been a really interesting end to that game. But even so, but just that that goal scoring feeling, I think for a striker actually is huge. It's not necessarily about scoring the winning goal, although that's also, you know, an extra confidence boost. I think for, for Raul, it, that, that Villa goal actually is, is one of those moments in the season that we might look at as a little bit of a turning point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, Peter's piece today on The Athletic had a beautiful line in it that I really liked. said goals may be a strikers currency but confidence is their lifeblood and I think that's the thing when you kind of look at that 
discussion, the goal might kickstart that. But actually, in the grander context of what it means, it's less important, perhaps, than actually him then kicking on in the Wolves game, putting in a good performance, kicking on in the Liverpool game, being competitive, you know, with Van Dijk and Matip until obviously he went off injured. And then, you know, culminating in last night where he gave the two centre-backs an absolutely torrid time. And to be honest, you know, whilst Forrest have been poor this season, one of the very few bright sparks has been Maria, who's been sensational for them in that mm. centre-back role. And Nia Carte is, is, is a very good defender as well. So actually when you put them together, actually when I looked at the Forest lineup, I was like, it's not bad that actually. And after what we've seen from them in recent weeks, I thought that that was probably an improvement. And yet Raul gave them not a second's piece. And that ability to drop deep there pulled them out of position, opened up those gaps for, you know, Alex Wobie in particular to exploit, but also Tom Kenny running through into those spaces to make things happen and pull the strings. All of it worked to a T last night. And I think that that's it. The, the confidence suddenly is there. Players trust him. They're giving him the ball. He's not being, you know, excluded from the build-up in the way that he actually was in early weeks. And that is all just starting to gel and tick. And it doesn't feel like the Fulham players are scared to knock the ball around in those areas anymore in a way that maybe it did at the start of the season. You saw it from the celebrations as well, right? You know, like the the, the euphoria, like every player going over to him. Obviously, you felt it on, on the terraces as well. You know, Calvin Bassey said it after the game, you know, like we see how hard he works. You know, for everyone, it's a lift, isn't it? And that, that's that's why it's key. I do have a bone to pick with Calvin Bassey. After the second goal, he proper shakes Raul's head. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. For anyone, I was like, that's pretty close to, to dangerous territory as a whiplash. But in particular, I was like, don't run him, knock him now when he's on this kind of form. <laughs> um, let's just quickly talk about Raul's second. I mean, Peter, it's just so magnificent because he gets around the goalkeeper and it's probably the right decision actually with the where, where his body is in comparison to the ball which is kind of running away from him but the cojones after the season that he's had to to try that there because if he'd have got it wrong and maybe we'd have gone on to win the game anyway but the Hammersmith end wouldn't have been massively impressed um it's, it's, it shows a mark of him. And, and all season, actually, Raul has had some confidence to try extravagant things. You think back to the weird Rabona cross he did against Brentford. Wrong place, wrong time, by the way. Um, but then the overhead kick against Arsenal, which was very much nearly perfect. Um, there is one small thing that I feel like we need to clarify. Was it a Rabona? Because the club said, um, did a meme afterwards, said taking it round the keeper and scoring with a backheel Rabona. I kind of took that at face value and I tweeted about him doing a backheel Rabona. But then uh, Ali Maxwell from Not The Top 20 got in touch and was like, I don't I don't want to burst your bubble. It was a great goal, but there's no Rabona. Um, yeah, maybe one for football cliches. I don't think that's a Rabona personally. I, no, it, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked, put, pinned it as a Rabona. It's quite a, it's quite a specific thing, a Rabona. Yeah, and I don't think you can basically do it when you're back when you're going backwards because of the way that your legs are. There's going to be you know almost any back heel could be a Rabona as long as your left is across your right. So therefore, I, I, I would have stayed away from it. But I think technically they might be correct. It's, okay. it's not quite. It's not like just a. Maybe there's. Maybe there is a way of describing because it, it's not like a, just a back heel, is it? It's a. It's a it is. Yeah, I, I get where it's coming from. Is this like the volley half volley, but you need a three quarters volley because there is sometimes a middle ground? Is that do we now need this for back? Yeah, I mean, maybe we have to have a term for everything in football. It is. It is the law. Maybe, but I mean, just going back to the flicks point, I mean, he was doing a lot of flicks and he has been doing a lot of flicks in recent years. And it was actually beginning to annoy me a little bit because there's some of the, quite a few of them weren't coming off, like those back heel flicks. 
Um, but as you say, he he has tried and he went so close against Arsenal. Um, and what was interesting with that goal is that he kind of has to do it. I know that just yeah. probably doesn't, you don't really think about it in first viewing, but when you watch it, you see the defender making a good recovery. There's a challenge coming there. So, you know, and he he said after the game, like I had to do it. I had to, had to do it quickly because, you know, the chance might might go. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the optics of it look great. You know, the way he just shrugs the defender off. I think it's Olorena, isn't it? And he, yeah. the defender goes flying. I think there's some questions whether it was a foul. I'm not sure it was, but... Olorena certainly thought it was. <laughs> there's some great pictures from from Fulham's finest, um, Javier Pereira, I think he's put on his Twitter that you should see if you haven't seen it, where he puts his images in, into a GIF. Um, yeah, it's a great goal. And the, and the reaction as well, like that roar that he gives before the Hammersmith end. Because he hasn't... He scored, didn't he? He scored against Villa, but no one cared. Like it was irrelevant like we did because he scored but um not the same it's not the same is it to, to actually celebrate and as you said earlier Sammy feel that you know feel that that stuff in the scoring and goals at the Hammersmith end as well like the Putney end and there's no disrespect to everyone that sits in the Putney end but goals at the Hammersmith end maybe I'm just saying it's biased because I sit there but they feel yeah, but more half special the stand isn't half the stand isn't away fans so of course they do yeah, I know, I know, but they feel a little bit more special when they're goals at the at the Hammersmith end, right? Um, and uh, let's move on just to um, the the rest of the team uh, quickly. I mean, we literally could probably do a eulogy on all eleven players, other than maybe Bert Leno, uh, who had nothing to do last night. Um, but I think one player that, that that stood out last night, Jack, and and we talked about him a lot in the build up, Tom Kearney. He, he sealed off his performance with a with a goal, an amazing moment with the Hammersmith end as well, where everyone was. Uh, cheering every time he turned round to stick his arms out which was uh, which is a fun moment but my word I just wonder if we're finding a player that's going to enter the Indian summer of their career here because he is just so special right now Silver has a habit right mm. of, of bringing the best out of players later on in their careers we've talked about it with with William we've talked about it with Tim Ream obviously wasn't part of the side last night but you know, this this development and a new kind of sense of, of what TC can do in the middle of the park is such a wonderful development for Fulham. It's really, really enjoyable to watch. He's in complete control. There aren't many facets of the game where he's not very, very comfortable, right? And and I think that the strings that have been added to his bow, I think it's been very important to manage this return return from injury that seems like a kind of more drastic way of putting it but manage those minutes in terms of making sure that reoccurring injuries weren't an issue again as they have been for long parts of of his career especially when Fulham have been in the Premier League so actually that management of of Tom Kearney last season where he featured almost every and in, in every game I think but then didn't you know necessarily start all that money worked in terms of just getting him up to that speed. And I think we're now reaping the rewards of that. I still don't think he's going to play 90 minutes, you know, Monday, well, Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday. I feel like he needs to be managed still a little bit, but the way he's playing and look, he didn't come off last night. When was the first, last time you saw Tom Kearney getting a league 90 minutes and, you know, and not actually have to be substituted towards the end. He ran his heart out. Obviously there is an element of, Nottingham Forest and, and the club he kind of grew up within and having a point to prove. Uh, I did back Tom Kearney as an anytime goal scorer last night. So I was pretty pleased with that one and uh, just thought he might have a say. So when he ran through, I was like, please don't miss it. Please don't <laughs> miss this. Um, but it didn't ever feel like he was going to. And I think that adding that kind of element to the end of games where he's starting to burst forward from midfield, the way that the balance works now with Awobi drifting in from, from that left-hand side at the time. But allowing that midfield to rotate and allowing the different elements of it to shift 
all works to a T and it's getting the best out of his ability to pull strings in the middle. He was glorious again last night, just as he was against Wolves. Only only once did he complete 90 minutes last season, but it's back-to-back 90 minutes at home. Wolves and and um, and Forrest. He did, he did get pulled in the Wolves game, though. It was just in the 90th minute. Yeah, it's 90 minutes, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he basically made it. <laughs> I, I saw some stats about Kearney. I think his passing accuracy last night was about 97 98% and when you consider how much he had the ball again last night it's just the stat he peter his his movement his his thought of speed his is is his ability on the ball is just about half a second quicker than everyone else on the pitch. And you saw it brilliantly, I think, for the first goal where he just glides past that Forest defender and opens up the space for Willian to be able to do what he was doing. I think that's the magic that Tom Kearney can bring you, just the way he can just move past a player like they're not there. It's, it's, I mean, Dembele kind of had that ability as well, but, but TC does too. Yeah, technically TC's great. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's the moment that stands out for me in, in the game. Um, I know he scored, but when Bassi, well, Jimenez does really well to win the ball back. Bassi does really well to step into midfield, plays a good pass, but then TC makes it a great pass by the way he receives it, opens his body up, takes the touch on his left foot. That takes him into the into the gap between midfield and defence and suddenly Forrester running the other way and Fulham score. Um, that's 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 what can win you games, and that's the, the quality he has. I think I think that midfield last night was really good. Andreas Pereira was fantastic. Um, hat trick of assists. Hat trick of assists. Um, his work rate is immense, and I don't think really that's dropped. I don't. I think that kind of gets overlooked a little bit. The running he does. I mean, did so so much running for Mitrovic last year alongside him. Um, and then, you know, I think at Liverpool, I remember when he came off and I was watching him come up, I thought, oh, has, has he got an injury? Because he was just so slow going off, but he was just, it looked like he was just absolutely knackered. So, um, yeah, it's good for him to get those attacking returns because it's obviously it's not been the easiest season, as, as Jack was saying earlier. Yeah, there's quite a lot of strength and depth now in lots of positions, um, especially, you know, on the wings and at, at 10 and then in the midfield. There's just a lot of players that like Silver can can utilise right now. And there's still a few key people to, to come back as well. Um, Jack, I wanted to get your thoughts on Bassi and Tossin. I, I wasn't expecting that last night. I wasn't expecting that call. To, I, I, I think at some point this season we were all like, OK, he might pull the trigger on this and give it a try but I wasn't I just I don't know why I just Reams on the team sheet every week so I just it, it, it caught me off guard and me and you were in the pub uh, together when that when that lineup came out I mean it worked last night they weren't massively challenged Divock Origi yeah. you could tell lacked match sharpness so I, I feel like Sunday if we if he does it again will be a much bigger challenge of whether that central defensive partnership works but in theory, from what we saw last night, it, it, it seemed well balanced. So far, so good, right? So you can only judge it on what we've seen. And you're right, there wasn't much for them to actually deal with. There were some moments and there, I, I think what's been interesting is learning the different you know, moments that they have within the game that can change things. And, and look, we know all about Tosin's long passing ability. I thought he looked very comfortable stepping back in last night and there wasn't, you know, much risk associated with it. And then Bassi looked like he was able to open the game up a little bit more from that role at left centre-back than he has been at right centre-back. I also think that the way that him and Tim Ream set up, Tim Ream is expected to be the one that deals with the ball a little bit more. Whereas in this system... Bassi was given responsibility for actually opening the game up a little bit more than he has been when he's been on the right. 
there have been moments this season when he goes marauding into midfield that would really worry me because I don't know if his, you know, kind of nous in terms of recovery of the ball is lost there is quite maybe what it's made out to be. Obviously, he has incredible recovery pace. And obviously, we've seen him cover Tim Ream in terms of the physicality of the game at times. But what was really nice about it, and you, you talked about that first goal, Bassi stepping into midfield, as Peter says, was lovely, but he also released. And we've seen him a couple of times this season step into midfield and then go on a marauding run. At times I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Please don't do that because you're going to leave us open on the break. You're going to leave us exposed. So the you know the ability and now to you know let the ball go and then also to you watch him in the when you're watching the replays, watch him slow up and then just slide back into position. All of that was perfect. And so yes, like what we've seen was excellent. Again, we're going to have to see what it looks like with with a real test in front of them, but. I mean, so far, so good. Yeah, it really was. And I guess, Peter, like, there's an interesting time coming up. We know that um, Bassi is going to be going to the African Cup of Nations. So is Alex Awobi. So, I like, I, I wouldn't see this as, oh, we, we're never going to see Tim Ream again. And, and there's a lot of games coming up, right? There's, there's kind of midweek fixtures for all but next week, basically. You've got Everton and then you've got effectively Bournemouth, which is a, um, a midweek fixture too. So... I don't think this is going to be permanent. That's it. But also it does, did feel like a bit of a glimpse of the future. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously there's, there's rotation at the moment, isn't there? We've, we, we talked about the good options we've got in midfield and um, we've basically seen Harry Wilson and William share their minutes. I think um, that's kind of the way it was, you know, uh, William came on after half an hour, didn't he at Anfield? Um, yeah, I sort of asked Silver about this because it's quite interesting about the, you know, the is it fitness? And he said there was a tactical element. I think at Anfield there was the off-ball side of things where you're going to get more from 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 Wilson than you will from Willian off the ball, just basically in terms of profile and their age. Um, uh, and, and and I think maybe that applies to to Reem a little bit here. I I think to be honest, if there was going to be a player to have made way for Tosin to return coming into this game based on form, it probably would have been. Ream of the two um, but we know how important Ream has been for Silver's team he hasn't not started a, a league game under Silver uh, when he's been available um, mm. until last night so um, yeah maybe, maybe it'll be, it could be a moment for that but also you, you know he's playing every three days you know he is in the twilight of his career so it's got to be managed in the right way and I think that applies across the squad and the fact that Fulham can do that is, is really good you know it's one area of the squad where it's almost you know must be it's almost frustrating you can be doing as well as you know Harry Wilson and, and know that you've got the competition it's not a guarantee you'll start every game so um, and when we get to AFCON and th- there are options there which which is encouraging yeah I mean just uh, a sensational night and, and Jack we should give a mention to, to Awobi two more goals he's adding yeah. that to his game now he's adding a bit of and in both of them really composed finishes particularly the first because he, he he delicately puts that into the corner when maybe the temptation would have been to absolutely spank it um, the, the, the second goal he scored was, was, a, was a nice finish as well not as easy as I think he made it look and I mean he's just a Rolls Royce and and you know, I don't love him as much on the right, but last night I didn't actually think it, it it stifled him as much as maybe previous games. Yeah, he was he was able to get forward a little bit more and actually make things happen. He likes to drift into those central areas. Like obviously, he scores one goal from the right and one goal from the left. So it shows the ability that he has on, on either flank. I do prefer him just in terms of coming onto his strong foot when he cuts inside. And I think that there's something to be said for that. But 
when you do have that option to mix it up and also the ability to drift and he intertwined quite nicely I thought with with Andreas last night who actually made those runs out to the right-hand side in the first half and actually allowed Iwobi at times to become the 10 in-game. That ability to pull defences in different directions and not know necessarily the man you're directly tracking is important and it's one of those things that if they can get the balance right, if Iwobi's playing on the right and he feels isolated, I feel like he's going to struggle in terms of getting into the areas where he can cause damage. But if he's linking and interchanging with Andreas out there, it's going to be far more of a productive system in terms of what he can offer in the final third and in terms of his output goals and assists. And so, yeah, all, all things considered, I thought it was an excellent performance for the entire game, to be honest. He was he was brilliant on both flanks. Um, and you're right, he is a superb footballer. There's already that sense that we're just better when he's on the pitch. He makes things happen. He commits players. He opens spaces up for others to exploit. Um, and all of it together just it's looking more and more like a brilliant signing with every game that passes. Yeah, it's mad. And I feel guilty that we were all quite underwhelmed with when he signed on deadline day because I think we all so Speak badly... yourself. Yeah, I mean, come on then. No. <laughs> uh, come on, so you're, te- you're, te- you're telling me that the fan base was, was over the moon that day when, when it was only Alex no. and Wobie that we signed on deadline day. I'm not, I'm not no, wrong. But, uh, no, but that was uh, context they... of everything else as well, wasn't it? That's yeah. what I mean. It was to do with Alex. I mean, it in isolation, I think people were happy with him. I was in a club in Florence singing an Alex and Wobie song. It was a great time. <laughs> I I just think it's like he has proven a lot of people, and there was a lot of people that was just like, oh god, that guy from Everton. I I, I think there was some of that within the, and I, I was a little bit guilty of that. I kind of had a feeling like I know that Everton fans really rate him. There must be a reason for that. But yeah, he, he's he's come on leaps and bounds. And um, just quickly, Peter, I thought like maybe just a word on Forrest's performance. There's so much focus on that today, and obviously because Steve Cooper's likely to get the chop after after that result. I think there was an element of like I think. Fulham did play them off the park in the first half, but it did feel a little bit in the second half like Forrest slightly gave up. Um, some of the defending was, was was atrocious. I thought the fourth goal, the way that Wilson was just allowed basically his own acre inside the penalty box was just mad. Um, you could see it coming a mile off. But I do think Fulham definitely played their part in this win this wasn't just a woeful forest but maybe the fact that it got to three four five was maybe an indication of where forest are at mentally right now yeah no you're right to bring that up and it's important that we do because forest were terrible in the second half particularly i thought um and you're right it felt like they were throwing in the towel a little bit a bit of that can be sort of confidence and you know there's speculation around steve cooper which from the outside seems crazy but you know that's not in forest under under their owner and um it's uh, yeah. It, it, once you have that environment, you know people aren't you know people aren't you know don't not read it and not see it and not feel it. You know you're two 0 down after two good goals from Fulham in a game that felt pretty in the balance. You know that it just they never really recovered from that. You know they brought on Gibbs White and he looked bright, but um, they had a, a decent spell of possession where Fulham just dropped a few gears. Uh, but it just felt like well Fulham can just up it again and, and they did and. And, and score goals. It was pretty, yeah. It was, it wasn't great. It doesn't look great for for Cooper. And they have that weird dynamic where obviously Forest supporters absolutely love Cooper. You know, he's worked miracles for them, taking them mm. to the Premier League, keeping them up last year, despite you know having so many bodies in the building. And you had uh, Evangelos Maranakis, the owner, in, in the cottage, which obviously was on TV. And then there was a clip of him there, and then there was a clip of him not there. Um, 
Did you guys see the the, uh, the tweet? Um, this uh, this is amazing. Don Manning, um, who said, "Found this thrown on a bush in someone's front garden just outside the Craven Cottage. Someone clearly left in a strop, and it's Marinakis's um, accreditation for the last night's game." So he obviously stormed out and couldn't even be bothered to find a bin. He just ripped off his accreditation and just threw it into someone's house. I don't know on Finley Street or something like that. <laughs> just not sensational. Ideal, it? It's no idea, and and I think yeah, it, it played a part in the game, didn't it? Um, the the nature of their performance, but you know, Fulham weren't there to offer a charity. You know, they they did what they did in the championship, and that's be ruthless. And you need that, and Fulham have lacked it, and they'll reap the rewards for them. Yeah, and Jack, you know, look at our position in the table now. Everything's feeling much healthier. Up to 12th, actually, that fifth goal last night gained us a position uh, because it, it took our goal difference above Wolves's. Um, it's now uh, 11 points down to Everton, who play tonight, so it could be a little bit less if Everton get a point or three against Newcastle, but look, it's it's a much healthier-looking table now, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I think that, look, obviously, there's certain things to be to be said. Obviously, we're currently a point behind both Brentford and Chelsea and, and back in that sort of West London mini league, back in, you know, it feels like back in that race, which is which is great. But also, West Ham are currently three points ahead of us. All right, West Ham do play tonight against Tottenham. But if they were to lose that game, even by a singular goal, a Fulham win at the weekend would lift lift Fulham onto the same points as West Ham and, and depending on how the goal difference shakes out, could push us ahead of them in the table. And I think that most people are under the impression that West Ham have had a pretty decent start to the Premier League campaign. They've not been fun to watch. There is a little bit of fan, you know, discussion around what what that looks like and, and whether David Moyes is the right man, fine. But actually, if you said to them, oh, you're going to be ninth, uh, you know, 14, 15 games into the season. I don't think many people would have been like, nope, we won't, we will not be taking that. That's not good enough. So when you, when you kind of look at it in that context and, you know, the option and opportunity to, to move potentially into the top half of the table at the weekend, that's a pretty stunning position for Fulham to be in considering how bad some of the early season football and games that we witnessed were. Yeah. Right. We're going to take a break there afterwards. We'll look ahead to West Ham on Sunday. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzer. Uh, Hello to everyone that is listening to this podcast for the first time this season, by the way. Uh, It's nice to to have you with us after a glorious 5-0 win. Um, We know that some of you like to listen just after only big wins. So, uh, yeah, welcome to Fulhamish podcast for the first time since May. Uh, It's lovely to have you here, Uh, Sammy, Jack and Peter. And just a quick shout out to everyone that backs Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, helping fund our pods, videos, videos and articles we can't tell you that basically we wouldn't be able to do Fulhamish with the people that support us monthly it's hugely invaluable uh, the support that you're able to give us if you get a lot out of the podcast uh, if this isn't your first time listening since May uh, then please do consider um, supporting us Uh, it really 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 helps us Um, we've recently taken the decision not to accept any gambling sponsorship on Fulhamish um, which has cut a little bit of our advertising revenue but look if you can and you're able to, please do support us. But obviously we understand that not everyone can. So if that's you, 
carry on listening. That's absolutely fine. We want to keep this free and open to as many people as we can. Right, let's look ahead then to West Ham on Sunday. Jack, as you mentioned, uh, they play Spurs tonight, so we won't be knowing how how they get on. It's, It's been a weird season, really. It started like a train and then kind of regressed to the mean a little bit. They've been fighting on a lot of fronts as well in the Europa League again. I feel like they're doing fine. Um, But I know West Ham fans have such lofty expectations that just fine is often not good enough. Yeah, I mean, it it depends where you kind of want to cash your chips on West Ham at the moment, right? Because they've obviously qualified in the Europa League group stages. They're through to the knockout rounds of Europe again for the third season in a row. They knocked Arsenal out in the round of 16 in in the League Cup and they're into the quarterfinals there. Generally, they've kind of won a lot of the games you'd expect them to win and lost the games that you would have expected them to lose. There's not been loads you know, to kind of analyse, I suppose, in, in that kind of regard. There have been poor performances away to Villa. They were dreadful at home to Everton. They were even worse. There have been really good performances as well. And and actually the two all uh, against Newcastle, I thought they were they were good in that game. They've, they've performed in some big statement performances that you kind of expect from the 3-1 away at Brighton. But overall, I think people are a bit frustrated with the brand of football that this West Ham side are producing. And maybe that's the one that's worth bearing in mind ahead of this one. We saw their game against Palace at the weekend, which was a little bit dull, to be perfectly honest with you. And they had a little bit more of the ball than Palace, who are on a pretty dreadful run of form themselves right now. And just not being able to get into the areas that you kind of expect them to be. And obviously, Mikhail Antonio has been out injured for for some time now, and they've struggled to find anyone to step into that gap to replace him. Obviously, Bowen's played through the middle at times. Caduce has kind of sort of drifted in a a false nine role, and he's had a fantastic start to his West Ham career, as we kind of maybe expected him to. But they also fell back into having three pretty solid centre midfielders instead of going for that 4-2-3-1, which had been more of a a kind of counterpoint to it earlier on in the year. And when they have Alvarez, Salchek and Ward-Prowse in the middle, it feels like they're quite stodgy and they struggle to to get the ball moving in those final areas where, where they can hurt teams. So mixed back in a massive way, they are dangerous when they hit a streak of form. They have an ability to shoot themselves in the foot. A lot of this sounds familiar, right? But it's, it is one of those where you kind of don't know what you're getting from West Ham until they turn up on the day. And and maybe that's why there has been a little bit of frustration around the fan base in that that consistency just kind of hasn't been there so far this season. Yeah. I mean, Peter, I am getting a little bit bored of previewing West Ham games, getting excited that Fulham might win and then they are just able to use any body part and they beat us, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, i never forget the home game last year. It was so Oh, so painful. I remember, like, I think we missed a couple of good chances, and West Ham scored on the break in the first half. It just seemed to have this, seemed to have this kind of hex over Fulham, really, where they just end up where, like two two teams of football meet, and in the end, West Ham win. Um, seems to be kind of how it goes. But you look at it on paper, and I'm like, yeah, not a bad time to face West Ham. Few injuries, and and after the the run that we've been on. 11 goals in three games, no reason why we can't win apart from the fact it's West Ham. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, confidence is a big thing now, isn't it? It's trying to keep that momentum going. Um, I think, you know, West Ham have got some really good individual players, haven't they? And I think that's probably where the frustration is maybe. You know, they, that they could be more as a collective than they are individually because there is some real quality there. You know, the players Jack was talking through there. We know their threats, you know, set plays will be huge for them as, as, as always. Um, yeah, there's always those frustrating games against West Ham. <laughs> Thinking back to the away game um, last season. Um, but yeah, I think for, for Fulham, it's where, where they're in a good position, as we talked about, you know, they can rotate. There are players that can come in. There are players who are fresh. Um, goals are in the team. Um, and yeah, I think it, should be, it should be an interesting game. I, I, just, I find the environment around West Ham really interesting because, you know, look at their results. I mean, even without Mikel Antonio, um, they've been picking up wins. As Jack said, wins you'd, you know, expect to, to pick up. I, don't, I think they lost at Brentford, but that's not an easy place to go. Um, so, yeah, you'd feel that Fulham can cause them problems. I think Fulham will expect to have a lot of the ball. It's just whether the, whether West Ham will be able to hurt them in, in, those, in those moments on the break or from dead balls. Yeah, and traditionally, Jack, in the last few seasons, West Ham haven't been very good away. This year, like, I look at their results and they have won three away games. I'm still not 100% convinced, like, they fixed their away problems. They won at Burnley. It was a dramatic win. And they also won at Luton early in the season. They also got an amazing win at their bogey team, Brighton, where they never win. All three games kind of had caveats to it. But last season, we were one of their only away wins of the year. And now, actually, Jack, I mean, Craven Cottage, and despite... I, I feel like the atmosphere seemingly getting like worse with each game in some parts is becoming a bit of a fortress this season, especially against teams that, you know, we should be beating. You'll be on Brian's gun this week now. They, now you've said that this the cottage is a fortress. Have, so oh, yes. They've well, just I can't, released I, that, so that's good. Can't um, wait. You, you, can, you can get involved with that. Yeah, I mean, I thought the atmosphere last night was better than it was at Wolves. I thought it, there was there was a significant improvement in, in just the way it was. And maybe that's just the the way that the game panned out and, and kind of context of, of Fulham really putting on a bit of a show. So there is that. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that when Fulham dominate the ball, we're a very good side. And, you know, to go back to those original points about Tom Kearney and, and the way that teams struggled to be able to deal with him, the overloads, that transition stuff, we're having the the interchanges in, in the final third make us quite difficult to deal with when we're dominating the ball. And I think we're you know seeing Fulham do that more at home than, than we obviously do away, naturally. So I think that that plays into it. And I think that plays into probably why at the moment it feels that when sides come to the cottage, all of a sudden, you know, I, as I said last week on, you know, on the show, when I, before the Wolves game, I was like, I'm not confident at all. By the time last night rocked around, I was pretty sure we were going to beat Forest, And I go into this West Ham game now going, got every chance of beating this West Ham side when they're not in the best, you know, runner form. I mean, they might have beaten Tottenham by the time we speak about it, you know, the time this goes out and we're having a slightly different conversation, but they've not been great this season. They are hit and miss. They are hot and cold. And so you come into it and you're thinking, okay, you know, I fancy our chances of getting something on Sunday. And I suppose that changes the atmosphere a little bit in terms of expectation, but also ramps it up in terms of excitement to go to games. And I think that Fulham kind of owe the fan base that in many ways because of what's happened and because of the issues off the pitch. The on-pitch issues were starting to bleed into that because people were, were like, oh, I'm going to this, but I can't see us getting anything out of it. That mm. feels like it's changed in the past week. And I think that probably is a good thing in terms of how the cottage reacts to games and, and what goes on within them. Yeah, indeed. Um, from a Fulham point of view, Peter, you look at this starting 11, 
it's really hard now to try and predict what Silva's going to do because he is starting to rotate players, particularly when there's three games in a week. Um, it feels like you mentioned it. He's also looking at the opposition and maybe seeing who works best from a tactical point of view, not just who's in form. But I don't know. I can't foresee too many changes. I, I, I can't work out what the changes could or would be here. Yeah, I feel like in terms of like style-wise, it's probably going to be a similar kind of feel. I mean, the difference is, you know, when you play Forest, you've got Kearney and Pereira who are two advanced tens, which is something he didn't want to do against Liverpool, as you'd expect. Um, well, you'd need a lot more energy to to try and keep up with them, I suppose. Um, there is that rotation element, I suppose, uh, but it's difficult. I mean, you know, Fulham, as we said, will probably see a lot of the ball in this game. You want your best technicians playing. You want players who can stretch the game, but also players who can unpick a team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult. It's really difficult to to predict. I mean, it's, it, there have been changes almost every game. I think the, the only thing maybe just in terms of fitness and how players recover from this game, you know, West Ham have a one day less to, to prepare. So, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, you know, striker seems pretty set now for now anyway, so that's good. Um, Yippee. Sent about this questions. Full, full bat, obviously, Tete and Castagna competing. You know, yeah. I think Castagna's been really good. Um, it's, you know, it just could, just could be a game for, game for him. Robinson's been good. Um, really good at Anfield as well, by the way. Um, was an unbelievable performance against Mo Salah. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Jack, you want to I, go? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, yeah. it really is one of those. And it it depends kind of in many ways. It would be ex- interesting to see how West Ham set up tonight because whether they go with that three in the midfield again and have a little bit more of the, what I've started to call the dogs of war approach in, in there, do Fulham then try and compete with that by having, you know, Harrison Reed in there to to supplement Polina and actually get around the pitch? Does that mean dropping Tom Kearney after what was, you know, an incredible performance, but does TC have two 90 minutes in the space of what, five, four or five days in his legs right now? And is that a risk to try and throw him in at that situation? These questions happen. And and, and obviously, Willian played well yesterday. Harry Wilson came on, set up a goal. He's going to be banging on the door. If that happens, do you switch Iwobi over to the other flank? Because it feels harsh to drop Iwobi because he's played really well, obviously there. And so has Pereira. I think he might go Wilson, Pereira, Awobi, Raul, and then maybe drop TC for Harrison Reed just to give Fulham a little bit more legs in that midfield. That that would be my prediction. But as you say, it, it, it's much of a muchness and it's a bit of a toss up right now in terms of who's feeling it. And obviously the sports scientists department will will go in there and be like, look, I'm not sure these players can f- fundamentally give the same that they gave on, on Wednesday night on a Sunday. Fulham will have to manage that correctly. But as you said in part, you know, in part one, it feels like that depth and that ability to rotate the squad without it completely banjaxing the entire situation feels there at the moment. And that's a nice problem to have for Silva. Yeah, I think like it's it's one of those now. I'm quite relaxed with what that lineup is on on Sunday. I think a few changes would probably be smart in terms of like, right, play a couple of fresh players 
put a completely fresh Wilson uh, on the pitch would be nice. If you had a completely fresh Kenny Tete as well, bombing down the right, that might be quite a nice little thing as well. It's not saying to Castagna or Willian, whoever get, might get dropped, that, oh, no, you've played badly. It's just it's just using your squad. And, and that's it seems to be where, where Marco's at right now. If Tom Kenny was to be rested and he continued with the centre-back pairing of Tosin and Bassi, who captains the side? Bobby. Or Harrison, I suppose. Oh, Bobby's not playing. Harrison, I suppose. Yeah, Har- yeah it'd be Har- Harris. But then, oh uh, yeah, maybe, is, is Reed Burn, one of the captains? Burn Leno, Burn Leno's also, I think. In the leadership in that, group. Yeah. yeah. Just a thought. It just popped into my head when we were discussing it there. I was like, oh, <sighs> when was the last time that Fulham came to, played a game where Reem or TC didn't start? That, that's wild. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah, almost you had point. it at a point last season where because um, Pereira and Ream got injured in the same game, so TC basically came in when Ream dropped out last year. Almost, so you never had that question too many times. And Mitro was the third captain. We all kind of knew that. Um, so, yeah, uh, a little uh, interesting nugget there. Who will ca- mm. Yeah, who will captain the side? I, oh, I think probably Reed. It's got to be Reed, surely. Or Reed, if you play, it's all burnt. Yeah, but yeah. no. Just, I don't know, just go rogue and just give it to, like... Anthony. Give it to Anthony Robinson. Yeah, why not? <laughs> give me Why not? Mind. All right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll answer some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast with Sammy, Jack and Peter. Let's go through some of your emails that are still here in the inbox. Uh, James Wilson says, thanks for the great shows. I was listening to Patrick Barkley on the Thursday Club last week. He mentioned that Marco, when asked if Wolves was a must win, went against the conventional wisdom of saying, no, it's a long season and keeping pressure off the players and instead opted to affirm it was a must win. My question is, do players care? Are they even aware at all of their manager's press conference? That's from James in <laughs> Asheville, North Carolina. So, Peter, basically, does anyone care about your job is what is what uh, is being asked here. Well, that, that's a different question if anyone cares about my job specifically. Um, <laughs> but, what the, but in terms of what the manager says, yeah, I think yeah, that matters. It's particularly, you know, if you're wondering how you're uh, there's so many different elements you know if you're not in the team and you get asked about why you're not in the team you'll probably want to know what they're saying publicly um if there's a question about rotation um and yeah i mean sometimes it, sometimes it can be done to elicit reaction i think i think gone are the days where the players would pick out you know the local paper and see everything that was written it's, it's a bit different these days i imagine it you know, it's picked up from social media or club website or, or, or whatever. Um, sometimes the messages are quite similar to what they will have heard already. Sometimes it'll be completely different. Um, I think, um, you know, Patrick's point about Silver's comments uh, ahead of Wolves was, was interesting and, and relevant because obviously there were those tough games and it was very easy to explain away those results because it was, you know, tough run of fixtures. But Silver doesn't tend to do that. So, um, you know, he did turn around and said, I want a reaction. I want, I want to see a reaction. You know, you, you can say that behind closed doors, but then when you say it publicly, it's like, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, you'll have to, it's one for one for the players, I suppose. I mean, I think like anything, different players are different. Some honestly don't care. You know, some probably don't even watch other games. I mean, others will want to know everything. Um, as we mentioned about Jimenez earlier, you know, I asked him last night, I said, you know, all the talk here has been about goals this season. You know, Mitrovic, um, you, do you read it? He said, yeah, I read everything. Um, 
but uh, I don't let it affect me. You know, it, I think everyone's different. You know, um, I think we're all aware that you know the players will see things on social media, and you know, I always say this to people. You know, people have I think particularly a club like Fulham where you don't necessarily realise that sometimes something you say well, won't get seen. Not always, not always. You know. It, it can happen so um especially when you tag people and we've, we've seen players come out and say things about that so um but yeah to go do a back to press conferences each to their own i suppose it just depends it depends it depends because some things are said in press conferences that don't won't get published yeah um but it's just you know it, it's yeah it's, it depends I think there's an element, right, of like Marco Silva saying, no, it is a big game. But I think individual things said about players, sure, of course, people are naturally curious, right? And and it's that you do get some robotic players that shut out the world and don't listen to the external noise. But I think particularly in the modern game, those are fewer and further between, really. I think I think it's quite hard now to find a player that's like a, a Buddhist monk that doesn't look at social media and just um, zens out the outside world. I don't think there's many of them left, um, certainly. But yeah, thank you very much for your question, James. Uh, this one, uh, I, I don't really know if there's much that we can answer here, but it was interesting. It's from Xander Fraser. He says, Hi, I'm a season ticket holder in the Hammersmith end of the ground. Um, in the most recent game, my season ticket did not work. I was directed to the ticket office where I had to wait 30 minutes in line to get a reprint of my season ticket card the club offered no apology and no suggested compensation for their technology not working and subsequently me missing 30 minutes of a game i'd paid to see the ticket office officials said that this happens to circa 10 percent of season tickets per game are you guys aware of this issue i fear it is simply systematic of how the club treats the fans these days be good to get your thoughts from alexander i mean I'm not aware, although this did one happen to my dad, um, uh, I think last season. Uh, he missed about 40 minutes of a game because it was one of the first games of the season where I think it happens a bit more towards the beginning of the season. I mean, it's a bit shit, Jack. I'm not 100% sure what the answer is here, apart from just have a better system. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just obviously shouldn't be happening. Um, I've not seen it too much and... Actually, weirdly, when I came in last night, I realized I was using the my old my ticket wouldn't scan, and I was that's weird. And then realized that I'd brought my old season tickets with me, and the other ones were also in my pocket, and that was the reason. But they were actually the people at the gate were incredibly helpful, so I've hmm. got give some some props to them. They were like, "Are you sure? Have you just got the wrong thing? Are you in the wrong?" I was like, "No, no, it's okay. I, I know what the problem is. I've I've just made a mistake here. I've picked up the wrong the wrong ticket." So just wanted to, to point out that those people at the gate were, were very, very useful and, and trying to get things sorted. But yeah, obviously if this is happening, 10% of fans seems like an incredibly high amount. Yeah. Um, and so therefore at some point it, it'll probably have to be addressed. But I think Zander's right in that it's symptomatic of, of where the club are right now in terms of not being able to, to just make things work. And, and there are issues in terms of, even, you know, a small gesture at that point would probably not go amiss just to be like, okay, we're really sorry this happened to you. You know, he, he just just a kind of little bit of courtesy would probably go a long way to smoothing the edges and, and all of it feels like it's a, a bigger issue that surrounds the bigger cloud that that hangs over everything right now there is nothing worse like i've had similar instances when you're stuck outside and you can hear the whole crowd going and the game's there and you just literally want to be inside watching and you're stuck in a queue um and you know that the the, the whole point you were there was to see the 90 minutes and when that's whittling down i mean i know some people consciously particularly on this podcast decide to miss good parts of the games but not everyone uh happily uh wants to be under the concourse missing uh, missing the 90 minutes uh, for much of the match um 
Um, just a final one. Um, this is going back to something that we read out on the podcast a little while ago, but I just thought that um, you boys would particularly enjoy this from Jovanus Solvang. He said, hello, Fulhamish. Johanna's from Norway here. Inspired by the geographically based Fulham 11s from one of your latest pods, I made an all Nordic one. I've taken into account only their Fulham careers. So no Yari Lippmanen, although some of his flair up top could be needed. How do you guys rate this team? So this is an all Nordic Fulham 11. Right. He's gone for Antti Niemi in goal. Frederick Storr at right back. Breda Hangland and Jochim really Anderson. Pulling, you're really pulling teeth, aren't you? Right back, Frederick Stuhl. Yeah, it's, it's a bad start. Um, Breda Hangland and Jochim Anderson at centre-back. That's decent. John Arnarisa at left-back. Uh, you've got Alexander Kakaniklic at uh, right midfield. Klaus Jensen and Stefan Johansson in the middle. Bjarni Goldbeck on the left. And then a top two of Eric Nevland and Heide Helgeson. I think that's a pretty strong eleven. What about Niklas Jensen? He was useful. He was useful. Didn't play very much. I'd have Niklas Jensen in the 11, probably. Over who, though? Over John Arnarisa. I think it's quite an agricultural team, Peter. I don't think that maybe in the modern game, but I think 10 years ago, that's a solid Premier League team. I think that stays up and gets about 15th, 16th in the league. Yeah, I was thinking that's a very solid functional side between, you know, the early 2000s to, you know, 2008, you know, giving Bolt, Sam Allardyce's Bolt on a good run for their money, you know. <laughs> could, it could, get a res- could get a result of the Reebok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One all draw with Allardyce's Bolton at the Reebok. JJ Okocha for them. Ida Helgerson for us. Done. Um, I, actually, I actually think that Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington would love that eleven. They could do so much with that eleven. They could go. They could reach more European finals with that eleven. They could do. 100%. They could do absolute. Well, they would move mountains for you. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. They, they definitely I would actually- can. I'd throw the other Risa in at right back. Sod it. it Bjorn Helga. Right but Bjorn Helga at right back. He's a little bit out of position, but I think he did more for the club than Frederick Stoor. And then <laughs> and then Nicholas Jensen at left back. They're my changes. They're my suggested changes to the eleven. Lovely. Um, I think that side has a little bit more attacking flair now. And you want that, that Risa crossing ability. John Arna Risa can't go in the side because of his antics off the pitch where his mum convinced him not to join Fulham when he joined Liverpool. And he had a, there was a massive like hoo-ha about it. Yeah, so, but then he did join and play for the club for like a season and a half. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was really bad. He was bad. All he did was he, he wound up long throws that didn't go far and then shot from distances where he just lost the ability to do the, do the cannon. It was, it was actually an incredibly disappointing period. Yeah, it really was. I remember when we actually got him for the final and I was really excited. I was expecting a free kick every other week. I mean, it's been a bit like that with, uh, I mean, we've never been uh, prolific from free kicks anyway, but I really thought that we were going to at least get one belter from John Arderisa, but we never even got that. Uh, if you're from uh, one of the Nordic countries listening to this, uh, let us know your thoughts on that Nordic 11. And if there's anyone else we missed out, uh, tweet us at Fulhamish pod or email us. Hello at Fulhamish.co.uk. We love getting your emails, particularly on the Thursday Club. That'll do for the pod today. Uh, I assume we're naming it Better Call Rule. Raul. Better Call Rule. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we're calling it. Better Call Rule. Well, it's Better Call Saul's. So it's Better Call Rule. I don't know. It's yeah, Better Raul. Call Raul. Um, and shout out to my guy, Scotty Maltman, and also BCB Cook uh, for, for that one. Very, very good stuff. 
Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for listening today. Fulhamish will return next week with a review of the West Ham game. And then the Thursday Club will be back this time next week, looking ahead to our trip to Newcastle. Peter Rutzler, thank you very much for coming on. No, thank you, Sammy. Thank you guys for having me on. Always good to have you. And Jack, thank you. Always a pleasure, Sammy. It's always lots of fun. Uh, That has been the Fulhamish podcast. Have a lovely weekend and fingers crossed we can get another big win on Sunday. You whites. You whites.